the Lamb of glory. We will worship the King of kings. We will worship the Lamb of glory. We will worship the King. I bless the name of the Lamb of glory. I bless the name of the King of kings. I bless the name of the Lamb of glory. I bless the name of the King. And with our hands lifted high, we will worship and sing. And with our hands lifted high, we come before you rejoicing. With our hands lifted high to the sky, when the world wonders why, we'll just tell them we're loving our King. And with our hands lifted high, we will worship and sing. and crest on this beautiful Sunday morning. We are glad you have chosen to worship with us this morning. I'm Don Witten. On behalf of the elders, we want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us, whether you are just passing through or you're looking for a church home, we hope that you will give us an opportunity to get to know you. 
we hope that you will find this a place to continue worshiping uh, for here on. One of the things that we ask all of our members to do is check in. And if you'll do that to the number on the screen, texting the word check in, we would appreciate it. If you're visiting with us, there are cards in front of you in the pews. If this is your first time. You can take that card back to the welcome desk and get a special gift. Otherwise, we'd just appreciate having a record of your attendance. One of the things that this church knows very well is what an awesome children's program we've got that's led by Rebecca and her team. There was a plea made recently for prayer partners that we could work with our attic kids, third through sixth grade. And the congregation did not disappoint. We want to thank each and every one of you who signed up because all of the children in that group have been taken and assigned a prayer partner. And so uh, kudos to you, and um, we look forward to that. It's such an enriching thing, and I, I think based on the response, we're going to need Rowan Chestnut doing all of our pleas from here on out. Uh, he did a great job last week, and obviously it filled up. So thank you for participating in that. This morning, I'd be remiss if we didn't remember and recall those who lost their lives or were injured 21 years ago today. It's hard to believe 9-11 was that long ago, but we need to be mindful of that and continue to be thankful for our freedoms that we have. This morning, as we begin our worship, I'm going to read from Psalms 9, 1 and 2. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell all of you your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Father in heaven, as the psalmist wrote, we are glad and do rejoice in you. What an amazing assurance that you do give us. Not one that was casually granted, but one that was bought and paid for with the blood and suffering of your one and only son. And while we readily accept that gift, Father, we um, realized what the hope of salvation that provides. We pray that it will stir in us a desire to pursue you more and to let our joy simply overflow into those that we meet so that you above all else will be honored and others will be drawn to you. We lift up those of our number, Father, who are hurting, whether emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, those who are lonely, those who are searching, those who are neglected in any way. And Father, we know that you know our every need, and we faithfully ask that you would wrap your loving arms around each of us. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that you provide us, and let us never take that for granted. God in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, and it's our privilege and joy to praise you. Please accept our worship in song and prayer and communion and the study of your word. And God, we ask that you transform us and make us more and more like you. To you be glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. 
Good morning. Let's stand. Let's offer our voices this morning in praise to the Lord. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout Praise. 
please. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you came to sing and to praise the Lord this morning. We're entering into our time of communion now. We're going to sing one more song, and then James Tipton will come and lead us around the bread and around the cup. Oh, sacred morning, church. When you hear the words awesome, amazing, outstanding, astonishing, what comes to your mind? I'd say for most of us, we think about, man, that was an outstanding play yesterday. Or if you're like my wife, man, that's an amazing pair of shoes. Or man, that is an awesome burger or an awesome movie that we just watch. One reason for this is that we are so desensitized by our own living that we are numb to seeing holy. Howard Macy once wrote in a book, Rhythms of the Inner Life. He further states that movies, professional sports, and other entertainments add a numbing crescendo and contrived excitement that so confuses us that in the end, truly wondrous experiences are deemed as trite and the most trivial instances elevated as awesome, tremendous, and wonderful. In Matthew 19, 16 through 17, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. We've all heard the words, why do bad things happen to bad people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? But I would switch it around. Why do good things happen to bad people? You see, if Jesus is good, then ultimately we are bad. We're all familiar with John 3.16, but the the subsequent verse in 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. As bad, we stand condemned, and that is the road that we are headed. And the only way that we could be considered good is through Jesus. In Colossians 1.22, it says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish and free free from accusation. So why do good things happen to bad people? Because of God's everlasting love for us. And he would evidence this in the most amazing and perfect way possible through sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the atonement of our sins. Simply put, it is the good news that saves us and it is the good news that we remember now. Let us pray. Father God, you truly are amazing. And Lord, please forgive us when we try to compare anything to you because we are so far from you. Lord, you are truly amazing and we thank you so much for your son Jesus who went to the cross for us in the most amazing and perfect way and who would die on the cross for our sins. Father, thank you for that. And we thank you for that. And we remember that now. In your son's name I pray, amen. I don't know about y'all, but I'm pretty excited to watch some football today. And maybe, just maybe the Cowboys will have some amazing and awesome plays today. But ultimately, those do not compare anything to the amazing things that God has done for us. The way that we all woke up this morning and had an extra breath. That we all got to use that breath to sing praises to him this morning. Uh, Barbara, I can't help it. I I just love watching you today. And that was all sidetracked. But man, just the way that you... Sing to him, and I just love that. It, 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 it really touched me t- today. But the way that he loves us, the way that Jesus changes hearts, the way that he loves us, the way that he cares for us, the way that he forgives us, I don't know about you, but those things to me are truly amazing. And so as you go through your week this week, think about the next time you use amazing or awesome. Do those compared to Jesus. Let us pray.
Father, once again, we are just so amazed um, by, by, by the way that you are. By the sunrises, by the sunsets, by, the, by the, the breath that you put in us. Most importantly, we thank you for your perfect plan through your son, Jesus. And we thank you for that sacrifice. And we remember that once again, the, the blood that was shed on the cross for each, for each one of us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. They sound great today. Thank you for showing up to worship God. Uh, if you want to give this morning, there are several ways you can do that. You can do that through the website today or any day. You could do it through church teams today or any day. Or this morning, you could drop a check or some money in the collection box out in the foyer. And that money goes to support so many works that God has called us to here. Uh, big works, small works, all kinds of things. One of them is the prayer quilt ministry, which is a sweet, sweet ministry to people who are uh, not doing well health-wise and to be covered up in prayers and, and in these beautiful quilts that are made. They're going to have an open house today uh, at starting at, when is it, 10.30? 10.30. Cross the street in room 295 if you want to check out uh, that, uh, more, learn more about that ministry. And we're going to watch a video about that in a moment. If you're visiting with us, we're just really glad that you're here to praise the Lord with us this morning. Let's pray. God, we are blessed to be in your awesome presence, in your amazing grace today. And we're thankful that not only do we get to worship you, we get to work alongside you, Lord Jesus. Uh, you call us to ministry, to service, and I thank you. I thank you for the servant-hearted people involved in, in all sorts of ministries at this church, like the prayer quilt ministry. I pray that you will bless them, give them strength, give them wisdom, and help them to do good in your name, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hello, Preston Crest family. I'm Karen Browner. And I'm Deborah Atchison, and we are the leaders of the prayer quilt ministry. Tie not, say a prayer. It's such a simple thing, and yet it blesses so many. 
A prayer quilt combines the gift of a quilt with the gift of prayer. They are given to people who are struggling with serious illness, grief, and personal or family crisis. The ministry blesses everyone, not only the recipient, but also their family and friends, the quilters, and everyone who prays. Those who receive the quilts are very appreciative and feel comforted by the quilts and the prayers. I received this quilt when I had cancer and was going through chemo. Not only did it comfort me physically during the treatments, but also spiritually, knowing I was covered in prayer by my church family. It meant a lot to me then, and it still does today. 16 years later. Through your donations of supplies, gift cards, and money, we have been able to stock our quilt room with the materials that we need to make the quilts. If you'd like more information about the prayer quilt ministry, you can find brochures at the Information Center in the church foyer. Thank you, Preston Crest, for your generosity and support. Thank you not only for your donations, but your words of appreciation, encouragement, and most definitely those prayers. It is our hope that the prayer quilt ministry will continue to bless many more. Yeah, so like Gordon said, that's going to start the open house today for the prayer quilt ministry. It's going to start at 1030. So once you're wrapping up class, take a, take a trot over to the Preston Place offices, second floor and uh, room 295. Go in there and, uh, and see their setup. It's pretty cool. Hey, I need to remind you, ladies, that this Tuesday, Women of Worship is kicking off. And Jody Compton uh, is going to be sharing uh, that day, and it all starts at 9.15. Isn't that right? Uh, treats and stuff? Yeah. So be here 9.15, and then 9.45, it uh, really gets rolling. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We're going to sing one more, and then Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. Savior, he can move Diakonos. That's the Greek word that the word we use, deacon, is derived from. It means one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, attendant, or minister. For 50 years, Preston Crest has been blessed with an abundance of qualified and committed men who have served the role of deacon. Our current group of deacons is no exception. They quietly yet effectively exhibit servant leadership for this congregation, our community, and God's kingdom throughout the world. We are so very thankful for each and every deacon that has answered the call to serve this church and our Lord. 
Since our last induction of new deacons in 2016, normal attrition over time, as well as the expansion of new and existing ministries, has brought us to a place where the eldership believes it is time once again to call out new men to serve in that role and to follow the example provided us in Acts 6 and the instructions provided in 1 Timothy 3. And we invite this congregation to call out these additional new deacons. We ask that each member review the relevant scriptures and prayerfully consider your nominations. Then using the online form located on our website, a printed form that you will receive in the mail this week, or a brochure that will be available in the foyer next week, make your submissions. A designated drop box will be in the foyer starting next Sunday for placement of printed forms for those, uh, or you can give them to any elder. Nominations will be accepted through Sunday, October 2nd. We hope to be able to review the recommendations, narrow the list, and interview each prospective new deacon before the end of November in hopes of installing new deacons on Sunday, December 11th. That morning, we plan to once again hold a single combined service as we did during our 50th anniversary. This will hopefully elevate the significance of the installation of deacons and allow us to worship again together and show our love and support for the men who will be called out. We'll have more details about that day to follow. We are very excited to be in this process and are so thankful for the ways in which God has and continues to bless this church, and we invite each and every one of you to be a big participant in that. Gordon? Appreciate that, and looking forward to, thank you so much. Looking forward to God using this process as he has before to bless this church. Thank you, Jacob, for preaching last week. Filled in for me. Did a great job. Uh, we were off out of town. Uh, hey, one more thing. So today is PC 101. If you would like to be a member or if you're just a brand new member here and you haven't been through, go across the hall after first service and we'll have coffee and conversations about uh, Preston Crest together. It's always a good time. So as Don mentioned, we're going to kind of hit the pause button here today. We'll get back to Sermon on the Mount next week. We want to talk about this important role of deacons today, which in one way involves all of us, the call to be a servant, but in a special way, there are those who are called to specific ministry, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this fall. So let's jump in this morning. The text I've chosen is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We have a growing church that is responding to uh, issues and challenges and opportunities together in Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, what do you know, complaints at church, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, the Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, these are the apostles, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirits and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Um, Most folks agree that this is the first iteration of this role, uh, deacons in the New Testament, uh, that the church in the first century was dealing with some problems and they responded with this new role. Eventually in the New Testament, we get a little more detail as this evolves in uh, 1 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy about exactly what these folks are to be like. But in Jerusalem, we see a very unique congregation, the first church of Christ, the OG church, I guess you could say. Uh, it's unique in many respects. Uh, it's the first church. It's also led by apostles, by people who personally walked with Jesus, knew Jesus. And so they are serving under the lordship of Jesus, and they are leading that growing, multiplying congregation in terms of membership there in Jerusalem. We don't have apostles here at Preston Crest. Uh, We don't have people who physically, literally walked with Jesus in that sense uh, and who he placed his hands on and called to that role. We do have elders. We do have shepherds who lead this church, this flock at Preston Crest under the lordship of Jesus. Um, And so in Jerusalem, a new role was carved out in response to a need of the moment. Uh, Servant leaders were appointed, uh, and this role would evolve, like I said, into what would be known as deacon in centuries past that point. So churches that thrive are churches that have a lot of servant-minded, Christ-loving members. Servant-minded Christ-loving members. Where you find people like that, you find vitality and you find health in a congregation. I think Jesus' desire is for every one of us, every disciple of his, to be a, a servant, someone who looks to meet the need of others, to show his compassion to the world around, and obviously through that, not only through their words, but through their ministry to share that good news of the gospel. In fact, as, as Brother Don pointed out, that word diakono in the New Testament, you can translate it. In fact, it often is just translated as servant. Uh, deacon is not a translation of that word. Deacon is a transliteration, okay? It's when sometimes when we hit that word, translators say diakonos, let's just put deacon, something that sounds like that. But just so you know what it means, it means a, a servant. Um, so Christ Church in Jerusalem, this is interesting. This amazing first church led by apostles, um, it's growing but it's got problems, doesn't it? In fact, it's got problems that we could say maybe are the, are the good kind of problems, problems that are caused by rapid growth. Uh, people in Jerusalem and in Judea around J- Jerusalem were hearing the gospel for the very first 
time. They were hearing about Jesus. They were hearing about what the Son of God, the King of Kings, had done for them. How he died on that cross just weeks or months before in their place for the forgiveness of their sins. And in his name, freedom and forgiveness was being proclaimed. Um, And so these folks are walking in this new life. Uh, where they have been refreshed, they've been restored into this intimate relationship with God. Their sins, all of them, forgiven, and they have been put together to form this new family of believers. Um, So now, their future is secure. They know that they have eternal life in Jesus, and their, their lives in the here and now, Monday through, you know, Sunday, they are flush with meaning and relevance in the world as now they walk as followers of Jesus. So we've got thousands of people added to the church in Jerusalem in very short order. There are young folks, there are old folks, there are different ethnicities, different groups within the church. We've got Hellenists and Hebrews mentioned. They're all Jews, but Hellenists come from a Greek background And the Hebrews, of course, come from an ethnically Jewish background. But they are together in the church. And as often does, when you've got different groups thrown together quickly, you can have certain problems or challenges created by that. Uh, Like I said, growth problems are, are, are good problems. They're the problems we want here at Preston Crest. And so among these challenges, we have a very specific group, ethnically Greek, perhaps even some of them Greek-speaking widows. And the challenge is, as the church has a ministry to feed and pro- provide basic supplies to these ladies who are quite vulnerable, um, the folks of, or the ladies of, of Greek ethnicity are being neglected. Uh, they're being um, ignored, maybe not intentionally, but it's kind of happening there. Uh, and, and they likely feel <laughs> like they're kind of being treated as second-class citizens in the church, like maybe they don't fully belong in the church because she over there is getting food, I'm not getting food, I'm not getting help, but these others are, what's the deal? Because Hebrew-speaking or Hebrew women in the church there are, are, are getting their needs met. They're noticed, and their needs are being fulfilled. So, widows, I probably don't need to tell you this, in the first century, not a very well-to-do group, a vulnerable group, in some cases a destitute group, uh, an impoverished group, and so they had special needs. Um, Now, in Jerusalem where the church had, (coughs) had skyrocketed in membership, thousands and thousands added to the church, in fact, just in Acts 2, we have 3,000 more or less. Um, So, you've probably got a group of hundreds of these women, these widows, who have basic needs, like for food, uh, maybe shelter, and, and some supplies. And so, there was this food distribution ministry, one of the first ministries of the church. Uh, so the church, I love this, they, they wanted to take care of these special ladies, and, and so they were tr- trying their best to do that. Uh, now, it sounds like a very, you know, unique, bespoke, one-off situation that may not be exactly relevant to North Dallas in the year 2022, but I mean, think about it. As churches grow, um, new people 
are coming in, uh, new people that don't necessarily know everybody, that don't necessarily have their group yet or their Bible class or their small group or whatever within the church. And so they can feel neglected. They can feel kind of like second tier members. We don't want that. That just happens as new people come into the church sometimes. And so I think their issue is not that different from some of the issues that we face today. So, I look at just some broad things as I read the scripture this week from Acts chapter 6. There are different kinds of churches. There are different kinds of church leadership. Uh, There are churches that are open to change. They are flexible. They are adaptive. As challenges or opportunities come up, they are agile and they make moves to adapt. They're they're practically minded. They solve problems and and look forward as a church. And in this case, they're doing it in Jerusalem so that they can on the fly assimilate all of these new souls that God is bringing into his family, into the church of Christ in Jerusalem. Uh, And so churches like this one in Jerusalem, are adapting to their changing reality. Uh, Others, you know, other churches, there was only one at that point, but other churches can sometimes uh, look more backward, look more to the past, and in fact prefer that things remain exactly the same. Uh, for that second group of church that's, uh, churches that really is more comfortable with things remaining the same, uh, they may think they want to grow. They may talk about how they want to grow, but growing requires some sacrifices, can make people uncomfortable. And unless you are willing to make small sacrifices to welcome in new groups of people, you're just not going to grow or you're going to add people and lose people just as fast. Anyway, in Jerusalem, we have this first group led by these apostles who are visionary, and they are responsive and adapted to what is happening in the life of the church. We saw in verse 1 there in Acts 6, the disciples were increasing in number. And so the apostles want to make sure that these people coming into the church are being taken care of. Uh, They're not chasing numbers. This is not about church growth for the sake of, of look at us. You know, we're growing. It's not about pride or egos. It is about souls. It is about precious people being brought into the kingdom. And, and the apostles wanted to make sure that continued to happen because God is a big God. He wants to bring all people into salvation, add all people to his kingdom. And so God is calling folks into this new connection with him, into this new connection with each other. And so in Acts 6, uh, we've got these church leaders who kind of recognize the moment, uh, who see a problem and aren't afraid to name the problem. Like, this is going on. This is not good. They're willing to talk about it in in public forum, which is what they're doing in Acts chapter 6. Not afraid uh, to say, hey, we've got an issue here. And they're open and they are adaptive and responsive to the situation. So a lot that we can learn from Acts 6 before we even get into this role of, of servants or deacons that we see developing here. It's worth mentioning that 
primary growth problems, like we've got this group of people that's kind of being ignored and not taken care of, often generate also secondary growth problems because we see from the text that as, as the numbers grow and the disciples multiply in Jerusalem, the apostles find that their own calling, their own role in the church, what they, they believe they're supposed to be doing is getting compromised, which is, is the preaching of the word and also... Um, prayer. Uh, They're just busy with all of this other stuff, and they can't do what they believe they're supposed to be primarily doing. And that's in verse 2 and verse 4. So the apostles, they, they tell the church, they say, hey, church, we need for you to look out among the flock and find these men who are full of the Spirit, who are full of wisdom, who will be called to resolve this very special crisis that's developed with the Greek widows there in Jerusalem. <coughs> and so we end up with kind of a task force being put together of seven men, uh, a deacon team. And they are given the responsibility, the charge. We just want you guys to make sure that this crisis, this challenge is Resolved. It's interesting, isn't it? As, as we read that list, you may not have noticed, but all of those seven have Greek names. Who better to know the Greek widows in the church than men who had Greek names who probably already knew these ladies and are already pretty familiar with the situation? That wasn't by accident. Um, so one of the men, you might have noticed that first one that's listed, full of the Spirit, Stephen. He's known as the first Christian martyr. In short order, he will be put to death because of his faith in Jesus. Now, to cut to the end, so what is the outcome of the story? I love stories where you get that outcome right there. You don't always get that, but here in verse 7, we are told the word of the Lord, after they install this new plan, the word of the Lord continued to increase. No emergency break, no pause button. They just keep right on going, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So, these are our people. These are our brothers and sisters. Uh, This is the first church of Christ right there in Jerusalem. Uh, And our elders uh, are responding to the growth needs of our church, much like those apostles did there in Acts chapter 6. We have a lot of new folks here, uh, a lot of folks who've moved in over the last couple of years. Uh, We're having our PC 101 today, and we'll welcome new members into the church even this morning. Uh, And and while the pandemic was challenging, it frankly was a time of of growth uh, for the Preston Crest Church. And so our shepherds are wisely asking us to to pray about, to give thoughtful consideration to this process of calling out additional men to serve as deacons here at Preston Crest. Now, what we really want to do here for the remainder of our time is zero in on what kind of person specifically are we looking for. There are lists, there is a list of qualifications in 1 Timothy. Uh, better than qualifications, I think the word would be qualities. There is a list that Paul gives to Timothy of qualities, of the type of person that we are looking for in 1 Timothy 3. 8 through 12. You might want to read that at some point. Uh, and it's interesting this week as I, I'm looking through different lists 
that people, Bible students, have put together based on 1 Timothy 3 of the qualities or qualifications or characteristics of deacons. I looked at like a dozen different lists this week, and I believe that all of them managed to completely miss the number one quality of a deacon. And it is this, a servant, a servant heart. It's in the name Uh, deacon means servant. So before you get into any of the other qualities, you are looking for servant people, okay? Servant people. As Paul tells Timothy, deacons, servants, they must likewise be. So the main quality is this, and then the smaller qualities are the ones he is about uh, to list. Again, deacons comes from the Greek word for servants. Um, it's just interesting that we kind of skip over that and get into all the minutia. Let's remember first and foremost, we're looking for men who are servants at heart. Not like the person who says, you know, I I just love hard work. I could watch it all day. You know, well, we want people who actually do love getting their hands dirty and working. So by definition, deacon, servant, diakonos, servant. Uh, So this is a person who is servant-hearted. Now, you know me. If you've been here long, I love to always bring things back to Jesus. And on this one, it is not hard. We don't often think of Jesus as being a deacon. But according to the New Testament, Jesus was a deacon. Um, Yes, he was. So here's a little picture from my Greek New Testament this week that I took from Romans 15, 8. We have those words that I circled there. Christon diakonon, Christ, the deacon. Okay, so he was a deacon. Now, our English translation is going to say Christ servant. Okay, Christ servant. But that word there, you can see it, diakonon, is that same word for deacon. So Jesus lived to give. Jesus identified himself at his core as a deacon, as a servant. The Son of Man, Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. There's that diakonon word again. Jesus says he came to diakonesi, to serve. Now, it would be easy to go, okay, Jesus as a servant, what that is talking about is the end of his life, the very end, Jesus on the cross serving us by giving himself as a sacrifice for us. Absolutely, that is an amazing act of service, an awesome, James, an awesome act of service. But right before that, we've got another glimpse of a much more mundane less dramatic, less uh, theatrical kind of service. Uh, We have him with his apostles, these men who are leading the church in Jerusalem uh, in Acts 6. Before that, they would have recalled this occasion recorded by the apostle John where they were gathered for the Last Supper and you remember Jesus washed their dirty feet. He had a towel and a basin of water, and he washed their feet. So John, one of the men who was there, one of the men who had his feet washed by Jesus, the King of Kings, he records for us what that was like. John 13, verse 3, Jesus, interesting setup for this. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So he understands that he is sovereign Over all things, there is nothing outside of his dominion. 
And, and knowing that, and that he had come from God, knew exactly who he was as the Son of God, child of heaven, and that he was going back to God. So he knew where he was, came from, he knew where he was going. That's the setup. He rose from supper. And we know what he rose to do. He rose to wash those guys' dirty feet. The lowliest job a household diakonos, a household servant, would do. And it wasn't because Jesus forgot who he was for a second, had a little amnesia. Wait, I'm the CEO of the universe. I shouldn't be doing a job like this. It wasn't because he lost his, his place. He forgot about his titles and his identity as CEO of the universe. It was the opposite, John says. It was because he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly where he had come from. He knew exactly where he was going. And that is why he rose from that table and began performing this menial task. Um, got up and he started washing their feet. Back to the text. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pardon me. So our king, our sovereign, our Lord, with an understanding of his unlimited power, of the reach of his authority and dominion, clear awareness of who he was, he begins to strip down, take a towel and some water, and begin scrubbing these grimy feet of his friends. So, <clears throat> how did Jesus deploy his identity? How did Jesus in that moment choose to live from the glory that he possessed? He served. Now, I'm sure you have been watching as I have all of the, the images from England this week. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? We Americans are fascinated. We don't have kings and queens over here, so we, we get fascinated by all things royal. But it has been interesting to me as I've been working through this text to think about uh, King Charles, right? And all of the, this week, all of the amazing beautiful garments and medallions and the medals and the scepters and all of this stuff and, and the guys blowing trumpets after his reign is proclaimed and, and the royal uh, Rolls Royce, you know, and, the, and, and the, the, the palaces, you know, multiple palaces. They're over here at this palace day, over here at this palace the other day. And, and then we have this look of the king who's, who's, whose dominion is far greater, Jesus and it's just a very different style of, of leadership, isn't it? A very different style of, of lordship. Nothing against King Charles, I mean, but uh, King Jesus is the one we worship and serve, and he was a very different kind of king. So as, G, as John records this scene, I mean, I don't know, but I kind of imagine John is, is wiping tears from his cheek as he remembers and as he writes for us what he went through, he, you know, the, the water splashing around in the basin, <clears throat> very sensory kind of memory, right? 
probably some smells attached to feet being scrubbed. And then remembering the touch, right? The touch of his rabbi who took his feet and began to wash them and then to dry them. John recalled, I mean, he writes for us, Peter's reaction. We remember Peter uh, when Jesus, the king, tried to wash Peter's feet. He's like, no, no, this is beneath you. Someone else should be washing feet. He tried to stop Jesus from debasing himself. And Jesus said, hey, friend, Peter, you'll understand this later. You don't get it now, but it'll make sense to you later. Let me wash your feet. And so after washing the feet, he looked at his brothers, he looked at his men, and he said, if you call me Lord, and I wash feet, then you should be doing the same kind of thing to each other. John 13, 17, if you know these, blessed are you if you do them. So they had seen these apostles, they had seen their Lord walk on water, multiply loaves and fishes. They had seen him heal all kind of sickness. They'd seen him cast out spiritual darkness of demon possession. They'd even seen Jesus raise the dead. And now, in his last hours before his arrest, they see him, they feel him, they experience him washing their feet. Hmm. We have some really terrific deacons here at Preston Crest. Um, most of our deacons, most of our servants will never receive an official ordination, uh, may never be called deacon. Uh, but what makes Preston Crest such a special place is how many humble, loving, real people, servant-minded people are here to give, are here to serve. Um, you see a need, someone is hurting, and you listen to them, you hug them, you take their hand, uh, you see a job that needs doing and you just get it done. You don't need recognition. You don't need anybody to blow a trumpet or anything like that. No questions asked. You're taking care of the Lord's business. Uh, I'm blessed, uh, obviously, to be here as the preaching minister, the preaching deacon at Preston Crest. Uh, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 16:6, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. There are a lot of a lot of places I could have been called to do ministry, but the Lord put me here in a really, really amazing place with an amazing church. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I just think what a blessing it is to serve alongside servant-hearted people, servant-hearted shepherds, elders, who make my work better, who encourage and support uh, I'm encouraged by the ministry team. I know John Scott would agree with this. We've got a, a really fabulous ministry team, uh, people that are in here for the right reasons at Preston Crest. And, and don't tell the elders this, but I, I love what I do so much. Uh, I would do it for free. <laughs> now, <laughs> I do have bills to pay, so it is nice getting a salary, uh, but I absolutely feel like I'm where God wants me to be, and I would do it for nothing if I could afford to do that. Um, so just a couple of takeaways this morning. 
as we look forward to this fall and what we are going to be doing as a church. The first takeaway is for all of us. Uh, disciples of Jesus look for people to serve. And you may have noticed there's a couple of ways we're using the word this morning, diakonos. One is a very generic way. All of us are deacons in this sense. We are all called to serve. We are all called to be ministers of the grace of Jesus. And so the first takeaway when we look at Jesus as a servant uh, and, the, and just the culture of that church uh, that early church in Acts 6 is to be a servant-minded people. And that simply means using your time, using your talents, and using your treasure to serve the body of Christ and to serve outside the body of Christ, people made in the image of God. So that's the first way. We look for ways to serve. Now the second, zeroing in on this specific role of deacons, we will pray that God will be active in our process of calling out additional deacons. So circa 36 AD or CE, the Jerusalem church was going through growing pains. Membership had skyrocketed and was continuing to grow. 120 disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, to around 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And it was time for everyone, for every disciple of Jesus there to find their place to serve, to bless. Um, it was also time in Acts chapter 6 to find a select group uh, of deacons to serve in, in the gaps. There were important ministries, as we saw this morning, that were not getting done. And so people need to be identified and needed to be ordained or tasked to go and fulfill those ministries. And so may the Spirit of God this fall grant us uh, that same spirit of love, of connection to each other, of willingness to serve um, so that he can work over the coming months and help us identify deacons to serve in the gaps, to serve in those areas where attention is needed. And so we will pray about that and we will look forward to, to the men that God is going to call out among us this fall. Well, Jesus, he did serve us uh, in remarkable ways. And he did serve us by giving his life for us. And this morning, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and become not just his fan, but his follower, his disciple, we would invite you to do that, to put your faith in Jesus, to acknowledge, confess that you are a sinner, that you can't find your way in life without his help, uh, that you are desperate for him, to repent of the sin that is in your life and move into a right relationship with him. And maybe this morning it's, it's time to be baptized, to be immersed in the name of Jesus and begin that journey with him. Perhaps this morning you need prayers. We would love to pray with you. We can pray down front for you or you can get together with somebody around you and pray as we close out this morning. Um, however you need to respond, we would invite you to do that. Let's stand together and let's worship our amazing God together. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits upon the throne
Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, John Scott. And thank each and every one of you for being here this morning. We are thankful that you chose to worship with us, and we hope you were uplifted. We do want to remember again those who lost their lives on 9-11. We pray that you'll be prayerful for that. I also want to invite you to attend class starting at 945 this morning and come back again tonight at 6 o'clock and join us again. This morning, our take-home passage uh, is from Jude, verse 25, and I invite you to Read this along with me. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. And the church said, Amen. Thank you. 